as people travel this week for spring break, let's just keep in mind, um, keep them in your thoughts and prayers and just um, ask that God be with them. So if you would, uh, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and everything you've given us up to this point. And uh, we know that everything that we do is for your kingdom and for your glory. And we just ask that as we travel this week that you be with us and you show us those people that we can be Christ unto. Um, we just give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you may remember last week, Pastor Jim, he preached on the subject of um, we're all products of the seeds of people that have gone before us. And so what I'm going to segue in from that is um, pretty much the same topic, but I'm going to have some leadership points built into there as well. Um, and so just like Jim talked about that, you know, he was a product of people that have gone before him and people that have prayed in his life and mentored him along the way. I'm also the product of many people who have uh, in here, many people in my family, and um, a lot of the deacons and all the people that have attended this church for so long. And um, I'm so thankful and blessed for you guys. Uh, the work that you do really does matter. It really does. <clears throat> and I can see it. And, and the work that you do, but we also must be reminded that nevertheless, it's not our work, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit living in us believers, that um, he has accomplished his divine purpose. And we can see this starting in the, with Abraham in the Old Testament and the prophecy that Jesus, that Christ was going to come. We see that all the way through the Old Testament. And uh, we knew it was coming. And so... By this, we know that through Christ's death, that he is no longer confined to a place, a time, or anything. He is now everywhere and anywhere he chooses to be. We now have the spirit that lives in us so we can become more like Christ. And here today, if you have your Bibles with you, you'll turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 6. And I love the book of Acts because it shows the power of the Holy Spirit like no other book. I mean, you really get to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And so in verse 1, we see in the early church there was a problem that started to arise. And the problem was with the food distribution. And so there's the group of Hellenists, which is the Greek-speaking believers in Christ, and the Hebrew-speaking believers in Christ. So you have two groups. Well, the Hellenists started to complain that their widows were being discriminated against because they were getting their proper rations they were supposed to get, and this was brought to the attention of the apostles. And so what the apostles came up with a solution to appoint seven men over this issue, the people would choose them, because it says that they were called to preach the word of God and that they weren't going to focus on food matters. And so out of this, you almost get the first board or the first deacons of the church that come out of it. And so my first leadership point, if you're taking notes, is uh, when you see a need and it's not your calling, empower someone else to take, fill that gap. You know, because there's so many issues in the world. There's so many things that we see. And I'm the worst about this. I see something that needs to be done. I just want to go do it myself. But leadership point number one is, you have to empower people to help you along the way. You know, this past week, uh, I went on a field trip with a lot of our kids to the Nimitz Museum in Fredericksburg, and it's the Pacific War um, from World War II. 
And um, it was so cool to see uh, some of the displays they had, the ships and all that stuff. But when a World War II veteran was talking to us about the struggles and the hardships, 92 years old, he was just a kid during World War II, and he talked about, uh, you know, everybody was on board. Everybody had a, a job to do. The young kids, they would go around and they would scrap metal and they would bring it, and so it could be melted down and then made into army tanks, all that kind of stuff. The women had the hardest job of them all. They had to go out, go into the factories. They had to help make tanks, had to melt, make airplanes, bullets, all that kind of stuff. And they also had to be moms and take care of the kids at home. Then we had to make gardens because we had to have food for the soldiers. We were totally unprepared for World War II. And so everybody had a calling. Everybody had a purpose in order for it to make it all work. And so that's what the apostles did. They asked the people to select seven men who only gave them the following requirements. Select men that were respected, wise, and most importantly, filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that you had to be wise or a good reputation, but they knew this was such a big issue that if it wasn't handled properly, that it could really divide the church. And so they couldn't make a mistake in who they selected. So they had to make sure they were smart, wise, had a good reputation, but most importantly, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the first deacon that was chosen, it says Stephen. If you've heard of Stephen, he's called and he has in brackets right there after his name. And it says that he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And so after the selection process, there were seven men chosen. But today we're mainly going to focus on Stephen. And... uh, When Stephen started out, it says that everybody knew that that was who they were going to select. You know, they said he's got to be well-respected. They said he's got to have, he's got to be smart, he's got to be wise, and he's got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like everybody looked at each other, that's Stephen, that's the guy we want. Everybody knew it about. They could physically see the Holy Spirit working in his life. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So his job was to oversee the food distribution, but he remembered his calling, which all Christians are called to do, and that is to pray and show Christ into others. No matter what you're called to in life, you are called to pray and show Christ unto others. And so he went forth and he was doing these miracles and Even people try to debate with him about how Christ isn't the Messiah, that he's not the chosen one. But it says, none of them could stand against his wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke. Which brings up a great point that nothing can stand against the Holy Spirit. Amen? No matter what it is, no matter what plans there may be, no matter what destructions that may try to transpire to stop the Holy Spirit. Nothing can stop it. It's going to go forth. And so while he was appointed over an issue, he was led by the Spirit to do what every believer is called, to, pr- to pray and proclaim the message of Christ. And it says that the believers increased, and even the Jewish priests, the people that are stuck in the law, the people that were still going by the way of Moses and the Ten Commandments, Even they were starting to get converted. 
They were starting to believe in Christ. They were able to see the truth and the works that was displayed in Stephen's life. <clears throat> but we can be almost certain anytime you start seeing miracles happen and the Holy Spirit move forward, you're going to have opposition. And so he was living in the Spirit and he was debating with these people and miracles were taking place. But three men, or several men, they were trying to bring him down. They didn't like the word he was spreading. And so they made up some lies about Stephen. And they said that he condemns the law of Moses and he does things that are unjust. And so, um, which brings me to my third point on leadership. Uh, Sometimes you have to say things that, you know, people don't like. He goes forward and, and people are coming against him, but he knows that it may not be popular what he says, but that he has to say it. You know, you have those hard conversations that have to take place every now and then. I remember when I was working at Target, and um, I would have to bring people in. We'd have to sit down, and you'd have to talk about all the things they were doing wrong and what we need to do to get better. And this is really awkward, you know, the stuff you don't want to talk about. But we knew, I knew that they had to take place. And so if you're going to be an effective leader, you know that you're going to have to, uh, have to address these issues. And so he faced this opposition. And then next comes my favorite part. Um, so he knows he's going to have to confront these Jewish leaders, and, and he's brought into trial. And uh, they, t- they tell these lies, and he has no backup, no one around him to, to uh, support him. And so he basically goes through a summary of how, up to that point, the Jewish leaders have uh, always, con- always come against God's prophets. Ever since Moses, they've always come against God's prophets. And so if you'll go forward after he gives this summary in chapter 7, verse 51, it says, You stubborn, you are heathen at heart and deaf to truth. You, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? But wait, it gets better because I'm going to read to you the passage from the King James Version. Some things, you know, we just need to read from the King James Version because they're just better and they should just stay that way. So I'm going to read this from, from the King James Version. And it says, You stiff neck, you uncircumcised of heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do ye. So let me break this down for you. First, he insults them. You know, it's getting real. You know that point, if you're a parent in here, and you have to have that conversation. Your kids just aren't getting it. And so you're like, I'm going to have to say something that's probably going to hurt their feelings, but it needs to be said anyways. Well, that's that moment right here. The Holy Spirit doesn't hold back. He says, you stiff neck. Like, okay, you're calling me, basically, you're calling me a mean word. Like, you're calling me fat. You know, you're calling me a stiff neck. Like, are you trying to pick a fight, Stephen? Like, what are you doing? You have no backup here. You're being accused of all these things, and you come and call me a stiff neck. Next, you say, I am uncircumcised of heart and ears. So what Stephen was saying, and if you know the Jewish custom, is 
It was a, a birthright of the Jewish people. They would come and they would get circumcised to show that they were a believer, a follower of God. And Stephen says, yeah, you may be circumcised physically, but what you really need is to be physically, you need to be spiritually circumcised in your heart and your ears. Like, you need to pull that skin back and cut that junk off. And it, does, it even gets more personal. So it's not bad enough. He calls him a stiff neck. And he says, you need to uncircumcise your heart and ears. And then he says, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Okay, now you're bringing parents and family members into this. You're saying, you're talking about mamas and daddies now. That's not good, right? And it says, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit. So we can pretty much guess what's going to happen to Stephen at this point. He's in front of these people. He's calling out what he sees. The Holy Spirit's working through him. But it brings forth the question, which is the question that I have for you today. Why do we resist the Holy Spirit? Because you see, the first thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do when it comes into your life is going to start to convict you of sin. You know, and every person is convicted of sin at a different point in their life and what they're being convicted of. Like I know in the past two to three months for me, one thing that I've been convicted of is food. Food has kind of become, an, it was coming an idol in my life. And so God was like, you know, we got to cut this down. It's like he kind of circumcised the fat right off my body, if you know what I'm saying. So everybody is convicted, but when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're going to be convicted of sin. That's just how it is. And that's how the Jewish people were faced with right now. They were convicted of their sin. So I ask you the question again, why do we resist the Holy Spirit? You may say, well, it's uncomfortable. Like if I sit here and I give everything to God, you know, and I start to get revealed of my sin and my depravity, like, it's going to get awkward. I don't know what's going to happen if I lose all control and I give it all to God. Like, people will look at me. I don't know. I might start to dance. I don't know what's going to happen. But you could say, I want to stay safe. You know, I want to be in control. And that's human nature is we want to stay in control. But let's not be like the Jewish leaders and be a stiff neck, as they would say. You know, Christ died so that you could have all of him, not just some of him. You know, he died so that you could have his Holy Spirit departed into you and that people could physically see the Holy Spirit at working in your life. And here's the problem, and I believe that this is a word for someone here today, because um, you've been dealing with sin for a long time, as many have, and you just can't shake it. That one thing in your life that you just can't shake, and for so long... You're like, I tried, and I tried. I know it's not right, and God's convicted me of it, and I don't know what to do. And here's the word that I have for you today. God is asking, why are you wrestling with your sin? Why don't you let me wrestle with it for a little while? Because when you try to do works, when you try to take over and do the sin yourself, you're going to fail nine times out of ten. And that's what the Jewish people were doing. They were trying to find the, follow the law of Moses, and they were not able to do it. And when Stephen brought this to their attention, they got offended. They knew he was right. But the Holy Spirit wants to wrestle with your sin. And when you give it all to him and when you surrender yourself, I promise you will not be the same. 
And so everybody's convicted of different sin at different time, and we must be careful that we are praying for each other, whatever we are going through, and that we are honest with each other, but also patient, just like God is patient with us. And if I could be honest with you, when I was a teenager, and even in my early relationship with Brittany, I had a, a problem with pornography, if we're going to be honest. And I, I was like the earthly view of it. What's wrong with it? You know, it's not hurting anybody, right? Nobody knows about it. It's just me. Everybody does it. That's the worldly view. But slowly, God started to convict me of that and says, you can't stay here. It, the hole is too deep. It's going to pull you down. And so the Holy Spirit started to convict me of that. And it, and it just breaks my heart because I see the problem so much in the schools nowadays. You know, kids have phones, and they have the Internet at their free access. And I can only imagine if I was a middle school kid and I had that, how much trouble I would get into. And so my heart breaks for these kids and just the problems we see with pornography and the marriage and all the relationship issues that we see. But God will convict you of sin, and when his Holy Spirit comes into your life, the things that you're wrestling with, when he starts to wrestle with them, they will disappear. <clears throat> and so, we are not a finished product, but God is calling us into himself with the same anthem that this church has carried for the past three years, return to me. You can't do it yourself. You have to do it with Christ. And if we look at the conviction of sin in the life of Peter, many of you may have known or you've seen the video or the movie that Peter was a follower of Christ, one of the apostles. And uh, he came to a point in his life when Christ was like, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to sin against me. You, you're not going to do it. And he says, I will never, I will never sin against you, right? I'll never do it. I'll die for you. You're my man. You've brought me out of nothing to something. You've given me purpose in life. I will never do it. And as you know, uh, it says Peter denied Christ three times. And in the movie, I like this image so much. And you've probably heard it before. But in that moment, they make eye contact. And Peter's broken of his sin. And he knows that Christ, what he is suffering in that moment, is because of his sin, of his denial. That everything Christ is going through is because of him. And when you look at Christ that way, that he died for your sin, that's when he can really start to take changes in your life. When he can really start to uh, put his Holy Spirit into you. And so I can only imagine the, the brokenness of Peter's heart and of the heart of Christ looking at your Savior in the eyes and knowing that he was right and that you failed him, that you could not do the work yourself, that you needed him. You needed him to die. And so the Holy Spirit convicts you in this, of your sin and begins to break your heart of what breaks his. And it says in his word, he came for the brokenhearted. It didn't say he came for the upright and the people thinks that they can do it themselves. It says they ca he came for the brokenhearted. Those who knew their, de their depravity of sin and they were made aware of it, that's who he came for. That's when he can truly go to work. But that was not the case with the Jewish people. 
For while they were convicted of sin, they still hardened their hearts and shut their ears. And so here in Acts 7.54, if you're there, I'm going to read through the scripture for you. It says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's acquisitions. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right place of, of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears. You need to circumcise your ears. Put their hands over their ears and begin shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out into the city, and began to stone him. The, his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. And so we see the life of Stephen here much in the image of how Christ died as well. Lord, don't charge them of the sin. Lord, forgive him. Because the same spirit that was working in Christ was now working in Stephen. That's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that worked in Christ can work in you. And now the death of Stephen had a huge impact. People really looked up to him. And so they got fearful and they scattered everywhere. But by them scattering out, the word of God went to places that had never been before. And like I said before, no matter what tries to come against the Holy Spirit, it's going to go forth. The more that it is pushed down or try to repress, the more it spreads. That's the power of God. And so it went to all these different places. And even the man Saul, it says that, laid their coats at his feet. He would go on to persecute even more Christians. But then on the way to Damascus one day when he's going to go get more Christians and kill them, he has his own Holy Spirit encounter where God stops him in his tracks and changes his life forever. Not that he did anything to earn it. Saul, who now becomes Paul, he changes his name. He did nothing to earn what God gave him. But God had a calling for him that he was going to go into the Gentiles and he was going to suffer much. And the way he died is much like the way Stephen died. Because how does a person know how to die? They watch other men die. Right? How does a person know how to live? They watch other people live. And so, by looking at the life of Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we become Christ. Amen? And so, there's going to be hardship in your life. There's no getting around that. Every person faces different hardship. Like, obviously, here we don't have a food distribution problem. You know, we got the Taco Bells, the Chili's, the McDonald's. You know, Bradley will come running here in a little bit. She's like, Daddy, can we go to Super Taco? You know, like, yeah, I'll go get you Super Taco. Okay. But... We don't have that food distribution problem, but places like Africa, they probably relate really, really well with that story. They have that food distribution problem. But everybody has a hardship that they're going to face. 
And I pray that um, whatever hardship you go through, just know that you're doing it for Christ. And that no matter what you face, He can give you the strength to finish. For it's not about this life and this world and how we can live and what we can do, but it's about bringing honor to the Father. And so um, I'm going to begin to start to think about closing. But what we're dealing with is the thing that I asked you earlier is, why do we keep resisting the Holy Spirit? Why can't we just surrender all to Him? Why can't we just let Him take all of us? And so when we start worship here in a little bit, I just ask that you give it all to Christ. Whatever you're dealing with, let Him wrestle with it. You've fought with it long enough. And it will hurt, and things will be revealed, and you might start to cry because that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But out of your brokenness, something beautiful will be made. Don't be like the Jewish leaders and try to fight the Holy Spirit. Bring it all to the feet of Jesus, because by grace we are saved, not by what we do or have done, but through our faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go over some points, and I may have skipped over one, but just to recap, we are all products of seeds that have been planted before us. We have, we have to lead God, has called, or we have to be led by where God has called us to lead. We can't do everything ourselves. And good leadership, you have to say things that may not be popular, but necessary, In point five, point four, the impact of the Holy Spirit is the conviction of sin. Point six, the more we are persecuted, the more his word spreads. Nothing can stop the Holy Spirit. And the last point is, it is by grace we are saved. So don't try to fight your sin yourself, but let the Holy Spirit wrestle with it. And I thank the Lord for all of you and... um, As we get ready for worship and prayer, like I said, just give it all to Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do the work inside of you. Don't restrict the Holy Spirit. Because in our brokenness, He is made strong. Um, Joy, if you'll pray for us before worship. Father, we're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful how you come to us in our brokenness and in our moments of fear and doubt. And you're always there with us, leading us and guiding us. Even when we don't see it, Father, I know you're there with us. And so this morning as we sing and as we worship... Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would fill us to overflowing. Lord, we just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand this morning.